You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with TC and Frank. Hello and welcome! Here we are back with another fantastic episode in the Music Interval Theory Podcast. Today we will go through five fantastic composition techniques that you should know. If you don't know them, well, lucky you, because now you're listening to this episode. <laughs> Before we jump right into the content, if you happen to know somebody in your circle who you think would also benefit from listening to this podcast, please do him a favor and point him to the show, because we give away a lot of value in these episodes And obviously, we want as many guys to benefit from these things. So that would mean the world to me. Many thanks to you. And now let's go into the content. Let's go quickly over the five, or wait, is it actually six tips that I can give you today? A quick overview. We have the intervals, as you know, that's our specialty and we focus on the nature of the intervals. This will be number one and I will give you a concrete example of what that can be. This number one on its own is a huge topic. So let's just pick one thing out of that that really served me so well that I don't want to miss that you can also use that too. And the second thing is scale flows. I assume that most of you are familiar with the church mode, but also maybe even the scale system that we are using inside the academy. 26 scales and they are really great for creating scale flows. And we will see how that sounds and what you can do with that in terms of musical storytelling. Then one of my favorite guys, scaling. You can scale any interval, you can scale any vertical structure, so we will look into that as well. Then Iris. A few of you guys have heard of Iris already. It's not just a nice name, but also it is the abbreviation for interval resolutions in sequence. Then number five, we can compose music with horizontal formulas. Now this is a little bit abstract for everybody coming from the diatonic system, because I guarantee you never saw something like this. But don't worry, I will talk you through the steps how you can use these things today without really spending years of training. So we will make all of these things very accessible to everybody. That's the goal of this session today. And also I will jump into this number six down there. I don't want to mention what it is, but this also is a fantastic secret technique. It's actually not a secret, I believe. Once you know it, you can't unsee it. We will get to this as well. Let's start with the first one. And I will present all of those things to you in the same structure. So I will quickly let you know what is it, like the technique, what exactly is it and how can we use it? Because this session today is a very practical session. Let's start right here in TikTok format. Number one, each interval has its own nature and character. We have picked the interval number two for this purpose right here. Obviously, we could have picked any of the intervals. And if you know the overtone series, also known as the harmonic series, then you also know the intervals in there. We pick number two for a specific reason. Number two has a very strong character, and that is, it's a dominant character. It's not stable, it wants to move someplace. And there are various ways how you can use that energy and 
channel it to various musical places. I will show you right here the most obvious one. Everybody who has spent some time with the diatonic system knows this movement right here and that's the authentic cadence. Now before we go any further, let me quickly play you this thing. So that's a very basic movement. And you might be asking right now, well, Frank, okay, I've heard this thing a million times, right? Why is this good to know? The audience surely has some expectations when they start hearing that structure. And they wanna also hear that guy. <laughs> Let's make it a bit more exciting and interesting. And we can do this in various ways. The first thing that I want to do is I create a, a little sketch, a short sketch that only uses this guy and its resolution. And that is exactly what you can see in these two lines. Now those parts where it's labeled with PCs, that stands for position changes and it's the same structure but the lower guy now moved in an octave position upwards. Okay, so whenever you're seeing these things here, these other positions, it's actually the same structure, but it's in a different position. Now the first line, and you might have spotted this already, this becomes our pattern, our building block. And if you understand the first line, you also understood the second line, because it's a repetition, but shifted two up. So whatever is played right here, now it's all two chromatic steps upwards, and that becomes our pattern. So let's have a quick listen to these two lines. I would not send it out to a client <laughs> yet. <laughs> this is not impressive, I know, but wait for it. Whatever sounds good in one place can actually sound good if we do the same thing in two places. So you still are seeing the upper line. That's a complete copy-paste from above. And you could compare the notes actually. Now let's focus on the bass clef down there. And you will realize it's also a copy-paste from the line above, but now with a locked interval. And this locked interval happens between all of the bars and all of the parts. It's really the exact same copy-paste thing from above, but with this five interval in here. I want to show you the bottom line only. And this is exactly what we have listened to, but shifted down. So here it is. Still, it doesn't sound very impressive, I know, but we've picked this locked interval here for a reason. So there are various options how you can lock these two elements together. And we went with this five interval here because it just sounds beautiful. That's the reason. And I want to play you this example 1C once more, now with both, well actually four parts, because the upper line has two parts and then the lower line has two parts. So here it is, the whole example 1C, and now out of a sudden you will realize, now actually that sounds very decent already, almost a little bit ambiguous, I would say, 
but the character of it now has this specific quality that actually leads itself to musical storytelling. Let me show you this. There are two advantages why it is beneficial to use a locked interval. First, you're not changing the overall density or the overall dissonance because it really stays the same through every bar. And the second benefit is if you are an efficient composer, I sometimes replace that with a lazy composer. <laughs> this is a fantastic technique because guess how long it took me to copy these things and have this locked interval show up. So this was 12 seconds of my time to do this. And I want to show you how this can turn into an orchestral arrangement as well. We won't be looking at the score because this also would be a little bit too demanding for this session here. But still, let me replay you the sketch, but now with the orchestra. And that is the end result. Here we go. Now that actually sounds very impressive and this would be an example that I would send out to the client. But guess what? It's all based on this skeleton. This here is the sketch. This guy up there, this was the gathering. And then we just used that to create the outline of a sketch and made it more sophisticated and interesting. And uh, this is a possible result that you can get out of such a skeleton. All the intervals have a nature. In this case, it was a dominant nature. It wanted to resolve. There are various ways to resolve a two interval. This was the authentic cadence right now. We could have gone to the reflection. We could also have gone to a chromatic resolution, but this would be something for a dedicated session. Let me continue and jump to number two, scale flows. First, what is it? Now every scale, if you play through it, has its own emotion. They differ from each other. There is a reason why, for example, the tribes of the Ionian, right, are known for, well, being very intellectual, calm, friendly. And you can hear this in the Ionian scale. That was actually part of their musical culture. When you look at the Dorian tribe, those guys have been very aggressive, actually. And if you listen to a piece that is based on the Dorian scale, it actually sounds like a call to the arms. And the Dorian scale is just fantastic for that type of storytelling. Each of those church modes and actually also the other scales. But let's limit ourselves to the church modes for now. They have different emotions to them. Now that is good to know. Because once we know this, we can change the scales purposely to manipulate the emotion of what we want to evoke in our audience. So the plan is to create something that we call scale flows, a technique that you can apply even later. So provided you wrote something already all based on just one scale first, 
You can go back after the fact and you can change the scale for just a few bars. Let's say here something happened that was uplifting in the scene and the director came to you and said, well, I like it, but it's not really positive enough. Can we do something that helps this uplifting character in that scene at that moment? Then you know instantly, well, actually, yes, we can. Let's go to the Lydian. And coming from the Phrygian beforehand, which is a minor scale, now that is a dramatic change, a change that you will hear. And for those guys who actually went through, I believe it's lesson seven of the composition course, they might recognize this piece here. And I want to play you first the very unimpressive piano sketch, which is exactly the thing that we are looking at right now. And then we will switch to a strings arrangement. And out of a sudden, you will hear the beauty coming out of these scales. Here we go. Do you know what one of the most common problems is with the way composition is being taught, the conventional way? It is that composers judge their ideas way too early. I have a guess that a lot of composers would throw this sketch away because it doesn't seem valuable. It doesn't seem to be quote unquote good music. But let me play you the strings arrangement and let's see what those guys would have thrown away. Here we go. This is wonderful. Don't throw it away. Oh my God. <laughs> Mind you, I, I want to show you one little thing that I believe some of you might not have seen. Everybody is being trained to compose on the circle of fifth. Now, who said that you can't compose on the circle of fourth or the circle of thirds? And this is happening right here. So the RC4 stands for four chromatic steps in between those tones. And there is a little arrow pointing up. So that was our starting note, just picked randomly. Because it doesn't matter, you will get back to your starting point anyway. So we picked a B-flat for no real reason, honestly. For four bars, which is kind of boring, I know. Then let's go four steps up, which brings us to a D note. 
in an octave position so that we don't run out of the bass range, but still it's a D note right here. From that guy, let's go four up still, which brings us to the F sharp. From this guy, another four up brings us back to the starting point. And that is the moment where we go full circle. You don't have to follow these conventional ways all the time. If you want to write a piece that resonates with a big audience, you should have at least some cliches in there. Because guess what? Cliches work. And that's totally fine. But this is definitely not following a lot of cliches other than major triads, minor triads, a little bit of diminished triads even here on the Locrian. Recognize this three plus three structure. And that is really the interesting part to me as a composer. It's not messing with your overall idea of composing with triads and a line. That is still the case, but let's be a little bit more interesting by not going with a circle of fifth, but maybe with a circle of thirds or fourth or seconds. And I think that is just a very inspiring and almost creative way of using all the notes available. This all follows technique. Creation follows technique. It is a process. And as you can tell right here, with all of these different guys showing up on top, the scales, this is exactly what creates these changes in color. If there was no change in the scale, then you would have the impression this is all based on one tonal center. But let's be more interesting with the story. Nobody wants to listen to a boring story. So let's not be boring. Let's jump into one of my all-time favorite techniques, and that is scaling. So first, what is it? You can pick any interval or any vertical structure that consists of three or more parts, and you can look at the distances between the notes. We always go from the bottom note to the top. So if we did this right here, that's a major triad, but if we counted the distances between the notes from bottom to top, we go from the C note up to the E, that is four chromatic steps, from the E to the G note, that is three chromatic steps. That is why we are labeling this thing here with a four plus three. The same concept works with any other structure, no matter what the tones are. So if we want to stick to our triad, because let's keep it simple, I like simple, and in most cases, this actually sounds better. <laughs> so let's stick to our major triad for a second. We do a little bit of math. We just look at the numbers, four and three, and let's just multiply these two numbers with the factor two. So we have four times two that equals eight. And we have three times two, which equals six. So we end up with this eight plus six guy. Now, before you ask, well, Frank, is that the only way how we can scale it? No, it's not. We have three different ways how we can scale a major triad. I don't want to go into that today, but the members will know because we have these things available inside the academy. And also, you don't have to stick to this factor times two. You can change the factor. You can make it times three as well. If you go beyond that and step into times four, times five, things get a little bit, let's call it unpractical. It's not practical from a composer's perspective. For that reason, times two is my personal go-to factor. Sometimes times three also works if you have clusters, for example, very small structures that contain a lot of energy and dissonance. These things are great when scaled with a factor times three. Now the question is, how can we use these things? 
if we come back to our major triads, and by the way, this also works with minor triads, then we will see that this example, and I can play this to you first. Let me actually show this here. So this structure again sounds unstable. Why is that? It's only because of this six interval. A six also has a dominant character to it. That is what the overtone series tells us. And if we use that structure here, we can use it almost as a transition structure to move into other musical places. And that's exactly what I want to do down there. And this is a quick sketch. All the guys in red here, these are the scaled structures. And I'm always scaling the triad that you are seeing in front of these red guys. This is the indication so that you know what I'm scaling, since you need to have your structure first. And this just comes down to basic mathematics. But here it comes. If you stick to triads, major or minor, and you scale it with a factor of times two, that is the recipe for the Disney style sound. Please don't tell Disney because they might not know. <laughs> this scaling technique lets you emulate that specific Disney sound. And I want to give you some evidence for that. So let me first show you this sketch down here. Before I hit play, I want to make you aware of the roots down there because they indicate something very interesting. A few minutes ago, I told you, well, you don't have to write on the circle of fifth all the time. Guess what I'm doing here? I'm starting on a C note. Let's go five chromatic steps up. This leads us to the F. From here, let's go five chromatic steps up. This leads us to the B flat. From there, let's go to the relative minor, which is this guy. That's the G minor triad to the B flat major. And then we transition back to our starting structure, which was the plain C major triad. Actually, I'm following the circle of fifth 100%. And I guarantee it won't sound like the circle of fifth. Why is that? Because we do something more interesting in another spot. These scaled structures, they will grab your attention and almost shift your attention from the very basic baseline down there to these more colorful structures. You can be an interesting composer and write on cliches. So let me play you example 3B real quick. So does it sound like mainstream music? I don't think so. Let me actually show you this with the orchestra. Don't be confused, we will be hearing a little introduction before we move into that sketch here. I wrote the introduction just for my own amusement, essentially. Here we go.
So my advice to you is if you ever get to work for Disney, use scaling and you will keep the job. Just take this from this session today. So that is uh, my technique number three. Let's see what Iris can bring to the table. What is it? Now we've talked about resolution already and that was with the two interval. We can also pick a one interval or the position change of a one, which is the 11. That's the complementary interval in diatonic terms. The same is true with two and 10. So complementary intervals, they always add up to 12. That's the octave. Now we can use those guys and resolve them. And it's a very natural movement. In this case here, we just go up the C Ionian scale. If you look at the bottom note, we just play the C to the D to the E to the F. We could have continued to the G, A, B and so on. And it would have sounded great actually. This also works with other scales. It's always the same idea. Like look at the 11s, let them resolve. Look at the 10s, let them resolve. And actually 10s can resolve in two ways, to a nine or an eight. With an 11, the resolution to nine sounds best, believe me. And this is a little example that I also quickly want to play you. And it's a movement that you have heard very often, I would bet. Here we go. But the thing is, I also bet that you have never isolated these little small building blocks and looked at what is going on. Because if we know what is going on, now we can use these things to even have fluent transition between scales, between different tonal centers, between different emotions. And that can be part of musical storytelling. You can go back and forth even and have a resolution and a reverse resolution, which is starting with a nine or an eight actually, and then moving into these bigger structures. So that is what we are doing down there. As you can tell right here, that's a reverse resolution, reverse resolution. And this is a very nice movement and you can combine it. You can have the reversed iris down there. We can have the pure resolutions in sequence up there. And this is nothing else than an octave shift for variation. And I will play you this thing first with the piano. And it's a very interesting sound. And it looks rather wild on paper, especially if you pick other scales with a lot of accidentals, then it really looks like you know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> so here we go with example 4B. I would surely have my problems performing these things here. And I know that TC wrote that sketch for strings, for example. This is fantastic. Also harp runs, this is fantastic. It works very nicely. And that is, I believe, the intention of this particular segment here. Again, let me show you what this can turn into if we orchestrate it. So here we go.
I actually recognized the harp at that moment here. But that is fantastic, because if you just listen to the orchestral version, I believe a lot of composers would think, well, how the heck did he write this? It sounds very sophisticated, complicated as well. Although not tonal-wise, it is actually very simple. It's just switching from a few tonal centers to the next. But as you can tell, there are not a lot of accidentals in here. So this is using mostly the white keys. You can go very far and create a lot of movement with iris, with this iris technique. And one of the best parts is that they create little motors inside. And you can use these motors as little engines for your orchestra. Because now it becomes the question, what can we do in the orchestration to bring more energy to that motor? This is exactly what happens with this repetition. This showed up in the, I believe, first and second violins. And it was a quote, almost a little quote to what was happening before. And there's always the energy flowing. And that is just fantastic because it is a technique that you can use immediately and you can also bring this thing in after the fact. You can just compose with 11s and 10s first and then bring in resolution later. So you don't have to start with a lot of notes. You can just scribble your layout and be sure that you hit the right number of bars and the hit points and whatever you want to have in your musical story. And then you go back and in a second run, you bring in all those details and those little segments here. Also, that's the moment why you want to have something like that show up. Because guess what? This here could have been an important moment in the story. And if you know how we approach composition, then you also know that very often we give ourselves a story to follow. Because that is very inspirational and it will become your north star almost. That keeps you on track and that makes sure that you don't switch your main character. Don't start with Yoda and then switch to Indiana Jones and then, you know, you bring in Vin Diesel in one of his iconic roles. <laughs> this is not a good story anymore. So you want to stick to your main character and let this character develop over the time that you want to present that story. And with these techniques, actually that is true for all the techniques that we have looked at so far. And Iris in particular, because it connects to a bunch of different places, different intervals as well. This is almost a universal technique that you can bring in later in almost any composition. If you want to hear and have that character in your composition. But I'm uh, feeling that I get carried away with this Iris technique. So let me jump TikTok style to number five which is the power of the horizontal formula. What is it? The horizontal formula is a description that is more or less a sequence of numbers. And this sequence of numbers determines the distance from one note to the next. And we use these horizontal formulas for lines or whatever is written horizontally. This is a thing that can show up in every register. Obviously, it doesn't have to be the treble clef here, but it is a line. And if you look at those tones, then you realize quickly, okay, that's a distance of three up, then another three up. Here we go two up and that's another two up. So our horizontal formula for this particular line reads three, three, two, two. I want to use this horizontal formula to compose a piece of music. You just need one thought. And this one thought can trigger a bunch of other thoughts that are all related, all connected. That is the beauty with these techniques. Now, what I've realized first is this is an interesting line. Let's see what happens if we put this 
into the bass and use this as a bass progression. I will immediately play you number 5B so that we get the impression at least of what this thing can sound like. And to not give you false expectations, that's actually a boring starting point. But wait for it. We will add on top step by step so that it turns into a more sophisticated composition. But we have to start somewhere and that is a simple starting point. So let's go with example 5B. Before you ask, well, Frank, why did you put this thing down there in the octave position? I could have used the C in the octave position up there, but then I would have had this white jump into my last note from C down to the D because I want to stick to the bass range. So I thought it is just more elegant to have this jump appear a little bit earlier so that I can move into the final note with a smoother and shorter distance. That's the only reason. Now, as a second step, Let's just add our horizontal formula, but now reflect it, right? So whatever distance we went up, let's go down the same distance. And you might ask, and it's a valid question, how did you know that you wanted to start this whole thing on the F sharp? I will give you an honest answer to this. I didn't know. <laughs> I just put this whole thing three down, three down, two down, two down on whatever starting note and then I looked at the vertical distance to my root down there and I made sure that I don't hit any 13 between those two guys and for those who don't know a 13 is an interval that is not a very natural interval because it doesn't appear to the root tone in the harmonic series hence it will sound dissonant and stick out I ended up with the F sharp up there. So I moved this whole line a little bit up and down and I figured, guess what? There is no 13 between any of the parts. And still, it still sounds like a boring starting point. I recognize that, but I urge you, please wait for it. So here we go. Again, that's the moment where I hear a lot of diatonic composers say, well, Frank, this is, this is nothing. Throw it away. You can't use it for any composition. It's not valid. Wait a second. Now, our horizontal formula read 3, 3, 2, 2. Guess what we can do with that? We can also use it in a kind of harmonization application. So I looked at all of these guys up there and then I just harmonized each of those structures vertically with my 3, 3, Two. I didn't want to go to the last two because then I ended up with too many notes up there. I thought, let's have four in the treble against the root tone. That is dense enough. All of these guys now move in parallel and it will give you the impression of a chord progression, kind of, although this was not my base of thinking. But yet I want to play you this line as well. So this is 5D. actually doesn't sound bad. And for those Sherlock Holmes guys that have spotted the 13 already, well, Frank, you said you don't like to have 13s. 
What about the D and the E flat up there? That's a 13. And I recognized that. Good catch. So this thing actually works because here it comes. We also hear scale tone minus seven to the root tone. And that happened to be the C note. This was a complete accident. I didn't plan any of that. But I realized it is a 13. But guess what? It sounds okay because of scale tone minus seven. So let's keep it. That's all. Now we can use all of these structures now to create a little musical piece. And that is exactly what happens in harmony down there. That's the moment. If you look at such a sketch, I know it looks wild. Look at all of these sharps and these flats here. And that's the moment where you actually look like a decent composer <laughs> because it's complicated. <laughs> but let me assure you, it's actually not complicated because look at these structures. It's exactly what I've used down there. And yet I want to play you these things quickly. So let's listen to the piano version of that before we jump into the orchestra. So here we go. Sounds like a decent sketch to me. And honestly, if you are not a musical genius, but can count to three, I can teach you how to do this. And I really mean it. This has nothing to do with jazz theory or all the, I would say, rather complicated techniques that can lead to similar results. I understand because a lot of these things are seventh and flat ninth chords. And this is part of jazz theory. But still, you get to the same result by counting distances. Isn't that fantastic? It's way simpler. So let me show you the orchestral version of that sketch. Again, we will be hearing a little introduction in front of that because I want to entertain myself as well. So here we go. I think this is a fantastic piece coming out of, let me remind you, this line. Just this line. This holds everything together. I think this was number five. Have a nice day. No, I didn't forget about the bonus one. <laughs> of course. So let me actually show you the bonus one. And that is one of my go-to techniques that works every single time, no matter what you write, at least diatonically speaking. And maybe some of you guys know this already. My bonus tip for you is fives, which is the five interval. This guy here showing up in every bar. These are universal structures. 
and you can use this interval on top of every note available. And I really mean on every note. So the big question is really, how can we use it? I want to rephrase that question into, well, how can you mess it up? Because honestly, you can't. You just put this on top of whatever you wrote, as long as it is based on chord progressions, and then it will sound fine. Let me actually play you through these things here. Need a pedal structure, need a little bit more density. Maybe you have two musicians that came to a session and they just want to be part of the score. They are high class musicians. They don't do it for any money and you don't want to send them away because the producer is excited that he gets more musicians for his money. Just write a five interval on top of whatever you did. It will work. So that is a fantastic, fantastic bonus technique. And I can't tell you how often I actually put my five somewhere in a score and it always works. This podcast is powered by the Music Interval Theory Academy, your resource for getting clarity and confidence in music composition and orchestration. See you inside at musicintervaltheory.academy.com.